As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Decisive Dennis deals deadly title blow. Evans's crown slips in Kiwi carnage. Roman ruins render race one start with striking shunt. And with the airline as title hopes wilt in Italian heat. All that and more coming up in today's Romy Pre podcast. I'm joined as always by our formerly correspondent for the race, Sam Smith. My name's Andrew Vanderberg, but we've got a very special guest joining us now. We have uh, Nissan Formula E driver Sasha Fenestras. Sasha, welcome to the show. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Sam. How are you, everybody? And uh, yeah, very happy to, to be here after, as you say, a very hot Rome uh, E-Pre. I mean, yeah, it did get a little bit... Uh temperatures boiling let's say um in that second race we saw two of the main title contenders uh mitch evans and nick cassidy uh, collide uh and probably possibly taking both of them out of the title hunt i mean sasha you, you know what it's like driving on that track what's your opinion of of that incident i'm sure you've seen the replays on the tv and whatever yeah it's pretty surprising to be honest from someone with you know so much um formerly experience to to have done that but you know it's so easy to do especially at this track which is so bumpy uh, you go a little bit on a different line than uh, you've been doing all weekend and you know suddenly you take a different bump and, and you can be locking the rears and that's kind of well, by the looks of it it looks like uh, that was kind of the you know the mistake of, uh, of Mitch of just you know defending a bit the position being in the middle of the track take a different bump and just looks like completely locked the rear and you know then you're just a passenger in this car when when that happens sometimes so um i think it's it's a it's a mistake that i think everybody could have uh could have done it also over the course of those two races you must have had a couple of close calls over those bumps is that true <laughs> yes definitely i mean over the whole weekend um especially the first few laps when because then you track for me and you know you're trying different lines and you it's kind of the corner that you don't want to be trying very you know many different lines because you can potentially just spin and crash and, and actually now that i remember my first push lap i was kind of offline maybe on the similar line than, than mitch and i literally nearly put the car into the wall on the first push up of, of uh, fp1 so you know it's a very tricky tricky track and and mistakes like that could cost you a lot uh, tricky or not, you had a, an excellent qualifying on, on Saturday, starting third on the grid. You must have been absolutely delighted with that performance. Honestly, yes. Uh, I think it's one of the yeah one of the best performances I had this season on that because, um, you know, after FP1, I was not confident at all with the track, uh, neither with the car. I knew that I was even telling myself, you know, this is going to be a tough, really tough weekend for me. And also Jake, uh, we could see both rookie, you know, struggling a little bit uh, on FP1. But, uh, you know, somehow we turned it around, got the confidence into the car in, in FP2, uh, had a good qualifying, a very surprising good qualifying, honestly. And, um, you know, I was, yeah, extremely happy to be starting on the second run, really unexpected. Things went well at the beginning of the race, you were part of the, the lead group for well, what, the first three quarters of it. And then uh, you ended up dropping right back down to 10th. What, what happened there? What was the, the reason for that? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's been a lot of uh, little, little issues, little, I think, mistakes on the 
strategy side of you know leading the race uh, i still think it wasn't the of course it looks good <laughs> uh, but i don't think it was uh, the best thing to do in terms of energy especially with my experience in the championship yet so i think we got a bit carried away you know by leading the race and wanting to keep and stay there until the end and i think we we kind of forgot that our present position of you know the experience that we have uh, the the package that we have and etc i don't think we we should have targeted that at that point of the race um because we you know we 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 knew that we don't have the performance of of jaguar especially in rome uh so far, they were so fast all weekend and and i think we got to be carried away with that and spend too much energy on the front then after the red flag um yeah we kind of forgot to add a lap on on the, on the car uh, uh jake dennis towards the end had the same issue um you know we we with the engineers i don't know what happened inside the garage but there was some miscommunication inside and and they forgot to tell me that and you know once i change uh, add this lap on the, on the on the on the system basically all my targets my consumptions and everything all my energy basically dropped a lot uh, and i had to go it was about three and a half four seconds a lap slower to catch back that energy that i've lost on those five or six uh, laps after the uh, red flag restart so you know that's that was kind of race over for for me after after that mistake unfortunately Sam, that was a, a costly miscalculation by the team then. But what do you made of, of Sasha's performances up to that point? Uh, really strong. Again, uh, fantastic qualifying laps that, that Sasha put in there. So, yeah, he was he was looking really good, but it was a bit of a sort of false dawn, wasn't it? And, um, you know, there, there have been mistakes this season, no doubt, and um, on both, both the team and the driver. But, look, you know, it's Sasha's first season. Um, I think you'd find you'd struggle to find a rookie who's just come into Formula E and delivered from the start. I can't, I can't really think of one. Um, everybody needs a, a season to to get into the Formula E way and and to to maximise what they have. But you know, it's clear for everybody that Sash has been the standout rookie of the season. Um, I think he's surpassed uh, Jake Hughes in terms of being at the front um, much more consistently. And of course, they're, they're essentially using the same uh, cars. Uh, so yeah, Sasha's done a good job. It's just, I, you know, an ultimate frustration for him. I know that he's not been able to to get those um, those podiums, which probably his pace has deserved. It's just getting the all-round package with the efficiency. And I, you know, I think he's still got a really good chance at, at London because it's probably going to be a similar race to Rome in a sense of it's going to be, have a flat out element to, to some or most of it, depending on the usable energy they get. So yeah, still a lot to play for, but you know, I expect, I expect Sasha of next season after learning what he has learned this year and the team improving their package to be, uh, to be a real factor. Sasha, you mentioned the red flag, which, uh, resulted in that one lap being added on. Obviously, you were at the front of the field, but at the back was what was the biggest multi-car accident we've seen in the Formula E history with some genuinely uh, lucky escapes. What, what's your view? Is, is the Rome a safe track now, given the speeds that these Gen 3 cars are, are able to get up to? Yeah, I've heard of a lot about uh, about this on you know the safety side of things of the track and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, I mean, I, I don't agree with some people. I agree with uh, with others. Um, in my opinion, you know, racing in a straight circuit, this is the risk that we know we are taking. You know, in in racing in general, and these kind of things, unfortunately, can happen. And of course, it did happen. Luckily, nobody got injured, uh, which is good. Halo again, I think, did an amazing amazing work for uh, for the cost and and some other drivers so i don't think the track should be changed because of that in my opinion is you know this is we we need to to understand the risk we we're taking and and we know that city city tracks there is a lot of blind corners and a lot of corners with high speed like this and and these kind of things unfortunately can happen what can be avoided and and maybe improved it's maybe a little bit on the i don't know if to call it marshalling side of things or the fia side of things uh, but maybe creating some some systems to to help us, uh, you know, not have these kind of crashes or as soon as there is a crash in a blind corner, having something uh, really telling us what's going on after the corner. Um, but in terms of pure track uh, layout and etc., in my opinion, uh, it's it's not a bad, uh, you know, it's it's it is what it is, and we have to get used to it. 
Some, you and I have the same opinion, and that's that Rome is the best circuit on the calendar. Does anything need to change, or is Sasha right that maybe that just some better form of communication would have been a, a, a appropriate? Yeah, I sort of share those views, really. Um, we love that stretch of track, don't we? It's just so challenging. I think there was a different, seemed to be a different challenge in Gen 3. They seem to be uh, sort of hitting those bumps and, and that sort of manhole covering a different fashion understandably it's a completely different design the, the thing for me is you, you know you, you can have accidents drivers can lose it and hit the wall but when it's a blind corner and it's the visibility issue you know if that was a if this was an indycar race you'd have a, lo- a row of spotters on a grandstand wouldn't you looking and informing the drivers where to go around that corner you don't have that luxury in formulary interestingly i spoke to scott elkins the race director after saturday's race and he said that there was a trial or there were some um, investigations into an AI-style um, system that could pick up obstructions in the track immediately or instantaneously. I think that's a long way off. But there just seems that there should be a better method to alert drivers. Um, they, they can do amazing things with their dashboard and the, the systems and the electronics of the car you know, surely there must be a, a system whereby drivers can instantaneously know there is an obstruction in the road. But actually, having said that, you look at how things, how quickly things escalated with that accident. And, I'm, you know, I'm not sure anything within that split second of drivers immediately behind Bird would have been able to do it, especially on a super narrow stretch of track like that. It was a kind of perfect storm in a way. Just really unfortunate where it happened. And look, you know, accidents will happen in racing. That's not to say there should be any complacency because the FIA study and debrief these accidents meticulously, and so they should. Um, but, I, you know, I, I do think that something could be done really hard to change anything at the circuit on the street circuit there because of the, the space. And I just hope that they don't lose that stretch. But at the same time, you know, we can't be seen to be having that kind of accident with multi-cars um, because – as you said, V2B, there was some really lucky escapes there, especially Sam Bird been T-boned at that speed. That could have been really horrible. And, of course, you know, we saw Buemi, if he'd have got into the fence, it could have been an IndyCar-style shunt there, if he'd gone into the debris fence. So, yeah, I know it will be taken seriously. Scott Elkins was, was clear on that, and there'll be an investigation to look at how future systems could be put in place to try and stop that happening. I think I would say that the, the work that's been done has worked there, right? So the the advent of the Halo definitely helped Da Costa, possibly Buemi too. The work that's gone into side impact protection absolutely uh, helped Bird. It is part of the parcel of racing on street tracks, right? There's, it's going to be narrow. There are unsighted corners. If you buy into that's the way that you're going to race, that's what's going to come out of it. And I think the fact that there were no injuries is testimony to all the work that's gone before it so i i agree that you know you can't be complacent about these things and i but i think it's through that lack of complacency that we had an accident there where where nobody was hurt but what what we did have was uh possibly the most bizarre situation and and that and how the spare tubs were allocated can you sam can you take us through a little bit about what happened on saturday <laughs> night as as they were yeah. trying to scrabble around to get a grid well, together for the next day well it was an old, old school lottery and, th- and this actually goes back to free practice one on uh, friday because um sasha's teammate norman nato um glanced a wall and and damaged a, his original tub uh so then reverted to the spare for the saturday running at which time Jake Hughes had his shunt in qualifying and damaged his monocoque. So they then didn't have a spare because manufacturers pool their spares between themselves and the customers that they supply. So what then happened was that there was a lottery um, in the FIA offices where literally names were pulled out of hats to see which monocoque um, McLaren would take for Jake Hughes for, for the Sunday running. So that was a bit novel. I'm not, I've not heard of an old school lottery like that for for a long time you know maybe maybe we should have got a few celebrities to to do it and televise it and make it a bit of a oh you didn't a, go to the very first race did you um they ran they ran out of gearboxes and and there was a lottery then which is why so there was a there was the show car there and 
I don't know how many crashes Bohemi had in practice then, but he, he was going through gearboxes like they were going out of fashion. And Drio, because he was Drio, managed to get the gearbox out of the show car that was there. But it meant that Tung didn't take the start of the race because there were literally no gearboxes left. So it was it was a sort of a lottery, but one that was geared towards Jean-Paul winning because that's... <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I mean, it's, yeah, you don't see it often, do you, lotteries like that? That's what happened. I mean, it's probably, it's the quickest and fairest method for doing it. But then, of course, uh, later that day, there was a big scramble to get spare tubs to four four teams, Maserati, Envision, uh, Jaguar, and um, and who was the other one? It was Porsche, wasn't it? Because Porsche then took Neo's spare tub. So you had this really intricate mismatch and matching up of uh, people using all the spares and all the tubs. I thought it was remarkable that there were 22 cars uh, at play in free practice three. Sorry, Sasha, it's probably a bit too soon, but obviously Sasha sadly wasn't one of those for other reasons. Um, but the fact that there were 22 cars that lined up on the grid after that carnage, I mean, I walked the pit lane after Saturday's race. It was gen- genuinely like a war zone. I've never seen anything like it. It reminded me of Brands Hatch in 1988 with the, the infamous Johnny Herbert accident. Um, and it was just wrecks absolutely everywhere. So I reckon that shunt cost at least 1.5 to 1.6 million pounds, if not more, collectively, which is, yeah, very expensive for, for everyone. Um, but the good news was we got the full grid on the, on the Sunday. And obviously the main thing being that uh, nobody was... Uh, injured in that shunt so it was it was all done and you know again just massive massive credit to the the um the unheralded talent of the mechanics and the engineers who work so hard to put those things together and many of whom were working to four or five o'clock in the morning to get the cars ready for their drivers which uh you know always kind of humbles humbles you when you see it because they're working in 90 degree heat in really difficult challenging circumstances to get these things rebuilt and they did it so uh yeah we went we all went racing so sasha sam alluded to there after the highs of a second row qualifying start on uh, saturday things didn't go quite so well for you on sunday <laughs> yeah the, unfortunately yes um i wasn't definitely not tired of, uh, of of driving on sunday unfortunately sat in the box for most of the day uh even the race was um, was a bit difficult we we basically just had some electrical issues that we we didn't manage. We we just basically found it uh, five minutes before um, qualifying. But yeah, ten minutes, five minutes before free practice, we we tried to repower the car and we see there is issues going on. I was already with my helmet on, and yeah, from there, you know, after FP three, there is only an hour and a half until quali, and yeah, we tried to change the loom of the car. They tried to maybe even swap the battery or the the PU, the power unit, and etc. But uh, at the end, it was just a small little half a meter cable um, under my my seat that that was broken, and basically we couldn't we couldn't change it in time for qualifying. So unfortunately, FP3 and qualifying, I didn't I didn't drive at all. And and the race, uh, another technical issue with them um, with the front motor. Uh, of course, the front motor is only for recharging and, and not uh, tractioning. Uh, but was basically off. Uh, we we had an issue with that, and and yeah, basically we were just uh, charging half of the energy for the first five six laps, and and I had to come into the box and and you know power cycle the car and go again, and yeah, a little bit unfortunate with that because uh, again another another race lost uh, because of that. But it's it's you know it's racing, it happens, and a little bit unfortunate yesterday, but uh, better to have all of it in one day than you know having it a few times in the season. How hard is it uh, for a driver? You're there, it's hot, you're fully suited up, so you're even hotter. You've got the adrenaline ready to go out to either take a qualifying lap or to you know just check that the car's working, and yet you don't get to go. How, how hard is that to deal with while you're just sitting at the back of the garage where there's nothing you can do? Yeah, it's it's just... I mean, of course, we're many guys in the team and we're all frustrated, but yeah, it's a lot of frustration in a, in a way because you're... As you say, you're ready to go, uh, and you know it's you're all excited about to jump in the car, and especially you know knowing after the Saturday's performance, we knew we have a good car, we knew that we are capable of capable, sorry, to to do maybe a top five or even a podium result. So you know, I woke up 
6 a.m. A lot of excitement, getting ready for the for the Sunday uh, Sunday quality race and etc. And and you know not being able to 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 participate nearly of of most of the sessions apart from the race. It's um, yeah, it's a bit of a shame. Uh, of course, it's a bit sad, especially when you know you have the performance to potentially do the first podium of the season, which luckily uh, Norman did it, and and you know that clearly showed that we did have the potential. Yeah, that was going to be my next point. At least you you got to see the team performing well. How how much of a boost is that? You know, after the uh, the, the struggles you had for the early part of the season. Ah, a lot of a lot. It's really good. I mean, it couldn't happen at, at, at a better time. Uh, if we can do it in London again, it's it's even better. Uh, you know, to to put that motivation to the team. Uh, and, and honestly, I was extremely happy. I mean, I was I was as happy as if I was doing the podium because. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot about the team. I, I really work uh, well like that as, as a team and, and all together. And, and I was really, truly happy for Norman and, and, the, and the, the whole team because we, as you say, we've been struggling most of the season, uh, you know, with, with many little issues every now and then. Uh, we, we've, you know, we've been really unlocked, well, quite unlocky this season, at least on my side of the garage, which... You know, in in um, in Riyadh already, we might, we were able to 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 go to duels, but we we had a problem; we couldn't do it. Uh, India, we were running fourth in only my third race weekend, and I th- really think maybe we could have had a podium there or top five. And uh, unfortunately, both Jaguar crashing that put me out of of that opportunity. Then Cape Town running third until the last lap and being taken out in the last uh, last few corners. So, you know, we've been <laughs> really unlucky this season, and and this. Uh, this is good for the team's uh, motivation and even for myself because we we always knew that the the performance is there for those kind of results. Uh, but hopefully now we can we can make it happen more often. Sam, how significant a result is that getting that podium breakthrough for for Nissan? It's really important. Oh, sorry, Sam. <laughs> no, no, you're the guest, Sasha. You're the guest. You go first, please. Yeah. Do. I mean, it is you know uh, since day one uh, when I at least joined and, and signed with Nissan. Or it was all about, um, you know, not really this year, but main, you know, mainly next year and the year after of starting to achieve these kind of results that we, well, Norman managed to achieve last week and last Sunday. So we were not expecting really at the beginning of the season already to be even able to do pole positions and and even less, you know, being able to do a podium. Uh, but you know, as the season went through with a few pole positions, front rows and etc., we were like. Okay, maybe actually this podium opportunity can can happen this season, uh, but if it doesn't happen, we sh- still should be happy. But you know, this is a, a real big boost for for the whole engineering, mechanics, and etc. Um, for for the rest of well, London weekend really. Sam, that's the thing, isn't it? Now that they've they've got to keep this performance up and uh, and go again at those final two races in London. Yeah, and I don't see why they can't do that. Um... They haven't had the consistency this season. Um, we saw Sasha so quick in Cape Town and do a great job there. He arguably should have got a podium in South Africa. And there's been other strong, really strong performances too, notably Monaco, of course, where he got that pole, but was then penalised, but, you know, was was morally on pole, if you like. I think the, the funny thing about Nissan is they've had really a couple of lean seasons. I mean, I was amazed to discover it was their best results since Berlin in 2021 would you believe so nearly two years ago and that's a long time for a team such as Nissan but obviously the backstory to it is that there's been a lot of changes there in terms of the structure how they operate um, how they go about their business that you know they've got multiple inputs from different places so it's it's not like a you know it's not like Mercedes was for instance last season how they operated in one one cell of of engineering you know they have inputs from um obviously alpine um in 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 france and they've had some input as well from the test and development from the art squad they've got a number of new faces in in big positions or senior positions there and that all takes time to knit together and to to bring forth what they have which i you know i think ultimately has got a lot of potential for the future and obviously part and parcel of that is sasha who we presume is going to be there next season. I think, you know, he's, he's been pretty upfront that he'll be there next season. He's talked about season 10 being when things come together and they can start getting regular podiums and maybe a bit more as well. But the good news is it all seems to be going in the right direction. So it's it's good to see. And 
you know, earlier in the season, as, as Sasha touched upon, it was it was tough. They were pretty much routinely been beaten by their customer um, sisters, let's call them, in, in Neon McLaren. And Neon McLaren now, have, have, I think they've got one point on the board in five races. They've got a really lean spell and it's just fallen away from McLaren, whereas Nissan are having these these flashes of, of really strong results, particularly with Norman second. And I'm pretty sure that, uh, that Sasha can get something similar, um, if not in London, then in the early phase of next season. So before we let you go, Sasha, two more races to go. Can you at least match that second place or even go one better in, in London? <laughs> uh, well, I wish I could know. I really wish I could know. But um, hopefully, you know, we, we're here for that. We're here for these kind of results, which uh, at the beginning of the season, maybe when I spoke with you guys, I, I was not, you know, not at all planning to, to, to put those kind of targets to myself because it was a bit unrealistic, especially at the beginning of the season, being a rookie in this championship. Um, but, you know, as, as Sam said, so far this season, we had a few good qualifiers, good races, uh, twice, fourth positions and, and etc. So let's see. Let's see how it's going to go. Uh, it's a track that, I again, I don't know at all. Sp- uh, same as Rome. Uh, and every time I've been saying that, <laughs> somehow we managed to do some good qualifiers. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But hopefully we can... Uh, we can have that that great result that we are all looking for because um, you know it would be well deserved. I think uh, after the season we've we've been having, you know, with the ups and downs and and to touch on the consistency side of things that Sam was speaking, it's it's definitely you know our our weaknesses at the moment uh, as a team of of just trying to put the weekends together uh, weekend after weekend. Uh, you know, we had Berlin very bad and Monaco very good, so it's been a bit of a roller coaster so far this season. Uh, but you know, this is all a bit. Uh, I think on on the lack of experience on on the on on the team side and on my side definitely also because you know uh, some some races of course I, I did uh, quite a lot of mistakes and and that's just the side of um, of learning how to race and how to work in this championship is extremely difficult um, and yeah we're getting better at it that's for sure and uh, hopefully if it's not London uh, hopefully next year we can be we can be on the podium. Well, brilliant. We wish you all the very best of luck and hopefully we'll see you on that podium soon. Uh, Sasha, thanks for joining us. No worries. Thank you. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a... real POS. You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Some excellent insight from uh, from Sasha there, um, but now let's talk about the rest of the most dramatic weekend in the title fight imaginable, I guess. I mean, who could have foreseen that things were going to play out quite like they did? Yeah, I mean, there was, there was always the air of something happening in Rome. I don't know if it was the different time of year. There was just this this atmosphere that things were, were going to get spicy. And, and from the title point of view, we we've known for 
probably since the end of Monaco, really, that we had this quartet of Nick Cassidy, Mitch Evans, Jake Dennis and Pascal Verlein. That's pretty much down to two, realistically, after what happened last weekend. I think Verlein certainly is he's mathematically still possible, but in the words of Florian Modlinger, who I spoke to, uh, after Sunday's race, it needs a miracle. I mean, that's that's for sure. Mitch, oh, so in the first three seasons, um, Sam Bird went into the final of, of every season with a mathematical chance, but it was like as soon as qualifying had taken place, he'd been knocked out or whatever. He, he's in that sort of realm, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, uh, you really have to discount Verline. I mean, it would take multiple retirements from the the three above him and him to effectively win. Win, I think, win one be second and get all the poles and fastest laps, highly unlikely. And I think actually, just just touching on Verline as well, it's just fallen away. The fact we've talked about for the last three months, him getting the crumbs of the points rather than getting thirds and fourths and keeping his name right, right in there, and particularly the last few races, it's just fallen away. And it's it's ultimately down to qualifying, particularly in Rome. He just didn't get it together, didn't get hooked up, just grip and traction and setup just wasn't there. And it, it may be it may be four hundredths of a second, but that's the difference between being fourth and being sixth or seventh as as he was in, in his session. So yeah, he's very disappointed. He's realized that he's now out of it. But the key focus for Porsche now is the team's title, of course, because you know they're they're only they're only they're very close to Envision, who have taken the lead in the point standings, which, when you think about it, is astonishing, isn't it? The, the customer team of Jaguar and a team who, at the start of the season, nobody was talking about, and they had all these issues with their car, did very little running. I think Buemi only did like a, a day and a half of testing before he got to Mexico. Um, and, and similar to Cassidy, you know, Cassidy had a whole day wiped out in, in Valencia pre season. And they've come through, and they're you know they're they're in line for being for winning their first team's title, which is you know pretty pretty Herculean. I mean, a customer team shouldn't really be able to win the formerly championship and a new rules uh, crossover, right? Given how little testing they get relative to the to the actual manufacturer team, it shouldn't be possible. Well, that's the beauty of Formula E, isn't it? It's it's constructed in a way where the manufacturers have to supply an interested party and they, they do a deal and then they get parity of everything apart from the the resources in, in the in the back office let's say and the and the software development that, that they get but some share more than others and Jaguar and Envision have always been particularly close which ironically was a bit too close wasn't it on the lap <laughs> two of the Sunday race <laughs> Which was uh, highly unfortunate, but it's you know it's happened with other teams and uh, manufacturers and customers too. I think going back to it, the, yeah, the real beauty of Formula E is that you can do that, you can achieve it. We saw Venturi um, really been up there with Mercedes last year, didn't we, with Mortara for three quarters of the season. Um, Envision have sustained that this season with Cassidy particularly. So I think I think actually Formula E and the FIA should be congratulated on having that system of of allowing manufacturers and and customers to coexist and and race on a a level platform and again andretti and the team's points they should be right there in the title one but unfortunately andre lotterer hasn't accrued hardly any points this season if it wasn't for that they'd be right up there as well I mean, it it was impossible to know he was in the race over the week races over the weekend it was so anonymous well, it's, it's been the case all season. I mean, it, it was just he was just running to form this season, and he had a very he had a pretty chaotic uh, Sunday race. And um, yeah, it's it's just got all the hallmarks of somebody running down to the end of the season, sadly. Um, and that's not what Andretti needs. Like, I'm not saying he's not trying. Of course not. It's Andre Lottery. He tries whatever he gets behind the the wheel of a car, but uh, he was he was he was way off. Um, there were flashes, you know, he was good in the free practice session. But then when it counts, he, he just doesn't get it together. And, and it means that Dennis is there exposed to to three, if not four, Jaguar powered cars at the front. But as we've seen with Jake Dennis, when he's on his A game, um, and is there any other game that Jake Dennis doesn't have at the moment? Don't think so. Um, he's able to he's able to handle it. And um, 
and come through and, and, and win his second race of the season. So given Dennis's prior record at um, Axel, he's got to be the overwhelming favourite to win the championship for the Porsche customer team. What's happened to the main team? What, what, what is it with these qualifying things? When we was started recording this podcast 18 months ago, or whenever it was, when the season started, they, they looked genuinely unbeatable, right? We, we'd said that the, the championship was going to be front-mounted and it was all about a crew and those early points was going to be the key to it. And they seemed to be absolutely blasting towards achieving those goals. And it's it's just fallen apart well they just had a head start they they hit the ground running with testing manufacturer testing last june they really made some progress there despite the difficulties of this gen 3 car they handled some of those very well i think jaguar always had a quick package and that was evident but they struggled to harness it as quickly as as porsche did and really the first three races of the season mexico city and the two races in in saudi arabia were were all Porsche and I think Jaguar just you know they they had to come from behind and it happens time and time again doesn't it we how many times have we talked about Mitch Evans um coming back from a big points deficit it's happened several times in in his Formula E career and I think it's going to be you know looking ahead to next season it's going to be super interesting to to see um if that happens again there's no reason for that to happen again next season and I think Porsche are going to be I thought they'd be really difficult to beat this season but it's not proved to be the case Jaguar have have been able to do that at the same time Porsche have scored six victories Um, Pascal Verlein has scored has scored three Um, Antonio Felix da Costa has scored one and Jake Dennis has scored two so they haven't had a bad season as a collective manufacturer and a much better season than the previous three when that you know they were midfielders at best weren't they for most mm. of that period so it's not all bad but actually i wrote about this this week um in terms of people have a preconceived idea that porsche will come and dominate a championship and just level all before them and win it like porsche used to do in sports car racing and they did with a 919 hybrid in, in the WEC. that doesn't happen anymore so why isn't that happening i just think particularly formula e the whole constitution of formula in the way you go racing the sporting format just doesn't allow that anymore you know nobody will dominate and i think that was always going to be the case this year irrespective of whether or not it was such a change in in everything with the gen 3 calendar difficulties but then again you've got to also factor in the the organization of porsche as well you know that it is not the same it's not the same makeup at Porsche as it was 10 years ago. It's a different company. It's a different way of going about it. The culture is different. There, uh, There is not the pure, complete emphasis on engineering as there was. You know, there are more commercial, there's more marketing, there's more um, various departments within it. It is a very different culture there. That doesn't mean that, you know, they're, they're any less... Or they're going to be any less successful. It just seems to take a longer time. That combined with the fact that Formula E is just so chaotic, so difficult to nail, and almost impossible to dominate. So, yeah, I think Porsche haven't had a really bad season, but we expected more, especially with it being uh, front heavy with those victories for Verline. So, Mitch Evans, right? Double win in Rome last year. Julie made it three in a row in the first race. He's hanging on, doing, like you said, pulling one out of the bag for keeping this championship alive. And what's your take on the accident? I mean, to me, it looks as though it's just as he's hit the breaking point, uh, he hits a bump, which means that the, the rear end's unloaded. And the, and the second it lands, he's, he's already out of control and, and a passenger from there. Uh, it's just incredibly unfortunate. It was a rare error. You know, I, you can count on one hand the amount of serious errors that, that Mitch Evans makes a season. And he, um, it was a small one as well. He was actually quite unfortunate because nine times out of ten, he would have locked up and he hit the back of Cassidy's um, rear structure and, you know, might have bent his wing, but they would have, they would have 
gone on as Norman Nato did after. I was going to say, Nato yeah, showed exactly how effective having, the wings are. <laughs> having a nibble at Jake Dennis and you can get away with it. And obviously it's the, the you know, the, these are not high downforce cars and there's very little um, real aero on them, let's say. So it's not critical. But what happened was Mitch, it sort of pinged from, if you look at it slowly, pinged from touching Dennis to then touching Cassidy's wing and it just vaulted him over the top of, of poor Cassidy. So it was just the dynamics were just, you know, slight angles and these little differences. But look, ultimately, Mitch, Mitch Evans made a mistake uh, and he paid for it. And so unfortunately, didn't it, Cassidy? I know having spoken to both of them that um, there is absolutely no ill feeling at all um, on the part of, you know, the fact that it was obviously not deliberate. It was a small mistake. Uh, it broke Nick Cassidy's heart, which we'll hear about in a minute. But first of all, Mitch just told me after the race how it transpired um, and how upset he was with himself, um, but of course how sorry he was for affecting uh, his fellow Kiwis race too. Look, it all happened pretty quickly. Uh, I wasn't trying to do anything stupid or... Yeah, I just kind of... The, the lap before, I, I had a run on Nick into eight, doing something kind of similar, um, and he just was able to chop me and then... I thought with him going to the outside again, I could maybe follow Jake, get alongside him in the traction zone to eight and then, you know, make the move. But just the, in the braking zone, it was all fine. It was just quite late in the braking uh, zone. They really slowed up a lot. Yeah. And I put more pressure on and then the res locked. And then I just, unfortunately, just, that that was okay, but it's the way I rode his wheel. Yeah. It just shot me up and over, over him. So it just escalated really, really quickly with such a small, small mistake so um and then after yeah the car was terminal i just obviously i feel really bad for for, for nick um also also for my team and, and for me like obviously taking me out of the championship yes i've got some chance but obviously for nick it's he's also had a really good opportunity um he's still well in it but obviously it's it's, it's uh, not helped things with jake winning today but um yeah i, I without sounding arrogant i i don't really make many fuck-ups but um today uh yeah it was a very very small one but just with a huge consequence and um just feels awful you have to feel for mitch there um especially as you broke the story ahead of the weekend that those two guys are going to be teammates next year so probably not the ideal precursor to that no not at all um slightly what would you call it warped ironic warped irony that um that accident should occur between two drivers born in the same year lived in the same neighborhood raced against each other in carts to toyota series down there with teammates in fact in that toyota series in 2011 kind of came over similar times to europe you know mitch was slightly ahead in terms of progressing through the junior formula nick went to japan then they come back together to race in formula e um you know as, as far as i know they get on extremely well um very different sort of people and characters it's going to be fascinating next season to see how they get on as teammates and I, it's going to be super close and i think nick cassidy will be hands down the strongest teammate that he's faced at jaguar which is, has been his own personal domain since way back in 2016 so yeah i mean a super strong partnership between the both of them obviously nick knows the the ins and outs of the jaguar powertrain which is going to be a, a huge boost to get that early early push and position in the team um so yeah we we assume it's going to be confirmed um slightly after the end of the season but it could be it could be before the london weekend let's see on that one but the deal is done and it obviously means sam bird is, is looking for alternative drive for, for next season so let's hope sam gets uh, gets a decent seat because i think he's as he showed actually with that great drive that he put in um on sunday he's still got a lot to give in formulary what's the who's the front runner for the uh, second envision seat then I'm sure Buemi's uh, uh, there for next year, isn't he? He is, yeah. Buemi will be there for a second season at Envision. I think from from what I hear and just speaking to people that there is a possibility that an old boy could be back at Envision. Obviously, we've mentioned Sam Bird. That's entirely possible. I think Robin Frines as well, who okay. has had a, a shocking season um, with, with apps. Obviously, we know the difficulties 
of that Mahindra. So it's not as if it's uh, anyone's fault in that team, in that squad. They're doing the best that they can and, and are doing a really, really good job actually in the second half of the season. But for Robin, who wants a niece to be at the front of the grid, I feel as though um, he could be on potentially for a return to Envision, which is a major surprise because I don't think he left the team in certainly in some quarters in the best um, in the best of relations. But look, if he's if Robin Frines is in a in a Jaguar or a Porsche powered car, um, potentially with with Andretti, um, either or, then I think everyone's a winner, aren't they? I think Frines at the front of the grid um, is an inevitability if they uh, if he gets his hands on a competitive car. Now after. Uh that incident between the, the two Kiwis, Jake Dennis was out in front. There was never any doubt that he was going to win that race from that point on, was there? I mean, he was literally as as safe and as, as houses, to coin an old cliche. <laughs> well, it was, it, was, it was pretty imperious. I mean, Jake Dennis has been superb this season, um, pretty much bulletproof. He made a mistake in Berlin. You know, there's been other difficulties. We saw one on Saturday with a team error with the, with the lap count. But actually, Sunday, it just seemed there was no question who was going to win that race. We mentioned Norman Nato getting, you know, getting close to, to Jake. But in reality, um, I think Jake would have probably won that race, irrespective of Evans and Cassidy's incident. Although it would have been fascinating. I think it would have been a great race, which was denied after that accident. So... Yeah, I think um, Dennis, I think I always felt he was the slight favourite anyway going into uh, London. I think even if he'd have been slightly behind either Cassidy, well, or probably Cassidy it would have been, then um, I think he would still have been the favourite. And now it's just a case of doing what Stoffel van Dorn did in Seoul last year in a way, which is managing the risk. Um, making sure that he's out of that midfield maelstrom which you get at the XL but as he's proved in previous years he is uh, yeah, he's adept at that place and I expect him to if he needs to to play the percentage game but potentially he can get at least one hand on the title by uh, reprising what he's done at London previously and, and, and being at least in the top three um, if not winning what would be his, his would it be his third race? I can't, remember. I can't remember. He's won two. Yeah, he's won one in each year, hasn't he? So it would be his third victory in three years if he's able to do that on Saturday. Um, and feasibly, feasibly, he could wrap the title up ahead of the of the final race on the Sunday. If he's going to do that, he'll have to hope that the uh, team don't have the sort of little brain fart that they did on Saturday. With, um, did they make the same mistake as uh, Finistraz's crew, where they just didn't add the extra lap on for the um, red flag? I didn't see that phrase in their, their phrase in their press release for be that you used there. Was that, uh... <laughs> oh, they should get me doing NPR. <laughs> uh, yeah, essentially, essentially it was. Yeah, I spoke to Roger Griffiths about that. It was fundamentally a, a team error there. There's, a, there's an offset at Rome. The, the start is a different position to the to the finish line. So when they when they went out after the uh, under safety car to the start of the race, there was a there was a screw up in the um, and the information that was relayed to Jake in terms of uh, how many laps were likely to be uh, were going to be uh, in that race, so he just overcooked it and then had to claw some energy back. Did really well actually to to do that because at one stage it looked like Jean Eric Verne and Nico Muller were going to just side through him and he'd be down in sixth place. So he managed to get fourth place points. And as he rightly said, he was never going to beat the Jaguars anyway. So ultimately, he only lost really one net position to Max Gunter's uh, Maserati MSG entry. So, yeah, I think um, Andretti did a really good job to regroup after that. They focused a lot on uh, improving the traction of the car out of the Marconi hairpin and some of the 90 left and 90 right and, and got Jake much more comfortable in the car. And I think on pace, um, they were slightly quicker than the Jaguars as was proved in in qualifying and I think even in the race he he probably would have had the measure of the of the uh, envision and the the Jaguar of, of Evans during that the duration of the event speaking of Maserati I think it was at the Rome race last year where the MSG Maserati tie-up was officially confirmed um, a, a home podium um, like say for Gunter on the Saturday and we saw 
possibly for the first time this season, the old Edo Mortara on the Sunday. So, you know, a, a positive end of the season for them. Yeah, Edo finally turned up, didn't he? And um, yeah, but been been his 2023, it wasn't without drama. Obviously, that pretty sickening accident with Sam Bird was a feature of the weekend. His mechanics, again, had to do a lot of work. Obviously, no fault of Edo's in particular there. But to come back from that in a rebuilt car and to finish fourth was truly noteworthy. Really his best performance of the year, for sure. Um, Max Gunter did a great job as well. Two big point scores for Max. He's now six in the championship, which, you know, if we, See, we'd have said that. that. Well, yeah. if you imagine saying that after <laughs> Cape Town, I mean, there was just no way, was there? But again, he's been super strong and continues to potentially give James Rossiter a bit of a headache at the end of the season because he's only got a one-year deal. Uh, we've written about this extensively that there could be others, uh, third and fourth parties, looking for that drive um, with Maserati MSG. But I think Max probably has a few options himself. Be interesting to see what happens there. Mortara, great result for him. Uh, Confidence-wise, I think will help him enormously. Um, and I expect a strong end to the season for for Mortara too. So, yeah, nice to do it on home ground for, for them. They are a team that are, are recovering from the, the hurt of the first third of the season. And uh, they picked up some momentum. And actually, they showed their um, manufacturer team, DS Penske, the way home last last weekend. And, and again, the, the black and golds generally were, were, were pretty insipid during the race so uh yeah fair play to maserati for for putting one over their, their, their mothership team so we've mentioned his name probably half a dozen times so maybe we ought to look a little bit more at the weekend that sam bird had so you did your story about the the drives pre-race which i'm sure uh endeared you to him no end uh then he made it to the finals of the uh qualifying uh, system on the Saturday going up against uh, Evans and what, what was the gap in the end what a tenth or under a tenth I mean it was incredibly close then having that an absolutely enormous shunt I mean it's, it was a, a weekend that was almost uh, you know, vacillated from one thing to another on uh, in seconds yeah it was a bit of a, a mad one wasn't it for Sam I think it reminded me a bit of New York in in 2021 when he um, he crashed in in um, in uh, qualifying, I think it was qualifying, and then he, he they rebuilt the car um, for him, and, and he, he won the race the next day. Um, yes, really impressive drive, and actually all the more impressive from Sam because he had an issue with the front front powertrain kit in his car, which wasn't working properly, and uh, thought was going to compromise his race. Actually, didn't, but still he had to drive around that to some extent, and did a really good job on the energy. Couldn't quite get Nato at the end but exactly what Sam Bird needs um, a third place for him to, to get back to get back in the ring so to speak after a really a lean a lean period but um, yeah I suppose from outside the cockpit the fact that um, he's going to be looking for another drive as well was, was the, 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 the headline sort of part of the, the weekend and how's that looking what, what are the options there I, th- I think he's certainly, certainly got interest from, from a couple of teams I mentioned Envision before, which, which could happen, but Andretti as well have, have got a seat alongside Jake Dennis, and you would say that Jake Dennis and Sam Bird would be a an excellent all British pairing. I could yeah. see that being been pretty decent. Um, I think they're the two notable uh, teams that Sam could end up at, which would only be his third team that he's raced for in the last decade. So, yeah, let, let's hope that comes off. I, you know, I think I think things are close to happening. I think. Possibly um, both of those seats could be sorted out by London. Um, uh, I think there'll be a, a flurry of announcements post-London in the, in the couple of weeks uh, after the end of the season. So, yeah, let's hope Sam Bird is on the grid. Everyone wants to see him stay in Formula E. And I think even though it's been a, a real up-and-down roller coaster season for him, he's, he's shown great fortitude to get that podium in under those circumstances, especially after that shunt. I mean, bloody hell, Oof. sitting oh. as a as a just a, a you know just a sitting duck with cars going past you at 120, 130 miles an hour, if not more, has to be one of the most terrifying experiences you can have in a racing car. So the mental toughness for him to come back and and do that um, just twenty four hours on 
and t- taking a few big hits as well along the way is uh, yeah very very impressive. It's a bit like that um, bring back Vitenzi Ron with uh, Patrese being walloped by Moreno uh, to link it all up. Another an- another reference for all our um, <laughs> all our eighty year old fans there who remember those days. No, yeah, but I, 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 I to me I, I love the fact that. Um, Bird, Bohemi, and Degrassi still on the grid. It's it's, it's like having Fangio, Farina, and Gonzalez uh, still driving around in Formula One. You know, the, the, dad's, the dad's back army. to the beginning. Formula E, Dad's Army. Yeah, I don't. That, that sounds disrespectful. I don't mean it that way. I think. It... <laughs> Who's Godfrey? Which one's God? I know which one's Godfrey. I'm not you. Finally, you sort of vaguely mentioned him but you know coming through all of that carnage in race one Nico Muller um delivering a sixth for uh for apt I mean they have had a terrible no terrible is wrong but an incredibly hard season and they they really fought and scraped and turned it around and you know he took another double points finish for him um I thought that was a really really uh, noteworthy performance it was excellent, yeah. He actually stopped on the um, slowing down lap, did Muller. And I thought maybe because he's in sixth position, he's so high up the order, maybe he'd got a nosebleed in the cockpit. <laughs> but what a, what a great job. Really good race. I mean, you know, he rode his fortune a bit and there was others, obviously, a good deal of the grid that ahead of him that didn't get through that shunt. Um, it opened up for him, but he, he, he made the most of it. and He got a great bunch of points for a team who have dealt with pretty much everything this season. You know, a really tough job with getting on the grid to start with or getting back on the grid from out. And a great job by Thomas Beermeyer getting um, Cooper involved in that project. Um, then they had the really unfortunate accident for Robin Frines in the first lap of the season. They had very little testing. Um, they then had to withdraw their cars from Cape Town because of the suspension issue via the, the Mahindra design. Um, and then they've had just one thing after another. Big shunt for Nico Muller in Portland last time out. Um, that chassis that he damaged went straight to Delara and then was delivered to the paddock on the Wednesday before Rome and built up and oh bloody hell and um, and made ready for him. So in the context of all that going on, to come through and finish sixth was just superb. I mean, a great job by Nico and the Yaps Cooper team. So fair play to them. And he got another point on Sunday, um, which was really good. Frines was unfortunate, got wiped out, clipped, um, clipped the melee um, at turn six, turn five, turn six in the big shunt, and then had a problem on um, on Sunday as well. So didn't, didn't get any points for Robin. But yeah, Apt Cooper doing a job that I thought would... I thought I honestly thought at one stage of the season they wouldn't get a point. They now have seventeen, and they're actually only sixteen off Mahindra. And when you consider that eighteen of Mahindra's thirty-three <laughs> points came in that ludicrous miracle of Mexico, um, yeah, I mean, you know, Mahindra had possibly their worst weekend of the season in Rome. I mean, it's just anything that could go wrong did go wrong. Software issues incidents um stoppages on track i mean no real discernible pace compared to the apps cooper cars and um and yeah they're, they're just i think they're just willing the season to end now whether they'd say that or not they probably wouldn't but i think they just want to forget about 2023 at the moment yeah you very much get that sense well that brings uh the race wraps to the end uh any other business sam we haven't had a, one of your calendar updates for a while i think jingles probably <laughs> rusty. no i don't think we need a jingle this week johnny um nothing particularly new from the last uh, pod that we did as as far as as far as we know so i think it's just now looking towards the end of the season understanding who's going to be where in the teams for 2024 and anticipating that uh, that we're going to have the first British Formula E world champion. Um, which... Another British world champion. We'll, we'll, we'll put a green masthead on the race. <laughs> well, <laughs> what a great story it'll be because I remember speaking to various people in the paddock when Jake Dennis was announced as a driver, um, which was at the end of 2020, I'd like to say. Yeah, sort of autumn of 2020 and there was genuine disbelief and probably a little bit of um, uh, ignorance on some people's part of who Jake Dennis was and what he could do. 
I was quite surprised by that because I always knew Jake Dennis was quick and I'd seen him at Le Mans and I'd seen him in DTM and, and knew he was really, really good. But the way that he's taken to Formula E has just been mesmeric in terms of how he's applied his racecraft and he soaked up all the knowledge and how he's worked with this team, with Avalanche Andretti, which don't forget, after BMW left at the end of 21, had to be completely restructured. And the fact that that is the big story of the year, that Jake Dennis um, has put himself into prime position to be a bona fide world champion, I just think is a really great rags to riches story and look it's not happened yet and yeah, i can almost sense i can almost sense roger griffiths throwing things at his uh, laptop as we speak but you know he, he is he, he had it's his to lose now it is his to lose in london and one thing we know about jake dennis is he doesn't lose often when he's in really good strong consistent consistently top positions in formula in well, having completely jinxed his chances there. Uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Jake. That's probably a good time to wrap it up. Um, as always, you can keep up to breast with all of uh, Sam's latest Formula E news and analysis on the race.com. And don't forget to check out other podcasts. You might hear Sam popping up on a, the new series of Bring Back V10s. I think I'm slated to do an episode at some point soon, which will be some sort of weird like Doctor Who thing where the old doctors come <laughs> back again or, or whatever. Just keeping it uh, down for the kids there with all the references, uh, Sam. Um, you're, you're definitely you're definitely Tom Baker and I'm, I'm definitely Sylvester. I, I'll take Tom baker every day of the week and on that note (laughs) goodbye (laughs) the athletic